The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, guys? In the home stretch here with our NFC North uh, brethren, we just uh, we spoke with Evan Western from Acme Packing Company to get us started with the Green Bay Packers and um, what they have uh, upcoming with the with the new Jordan Love era. Now that Aaron Rodgers is officially gone and part of the New York Jets uh, at this point, and, and you know where the the air of optimism is with the team, if there is uh, any, but. Uh, Great conversation with Evan. Always love having him on, despite his un- unfortunate allegiance to the evil empire in Wisconsin. But uh, now we move on to Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit and SB Nation to talk about last year's surprise squad. And, and the surprise being that they started 1-6 and six and were, went, on a, went on a tear for the rest of the season and damn near made the playoffs last year, finishing at 9-8, and eight, and ended the season by beating Green Bay in Green Bay on Sunday night football. So not only did they end Aaron Rodgers' uh, career in uh, Green Bay, they did it on national TV with the whole world watching. So um, Jeremy, I'm sure, enjoyed that quite a bit. And I have to let you guys know that um, I want to apologize for failing you all because I know how you guys um, really are into the fact that I am a self-professed uniform snob. And yet, when I spoke to Jeremy, even though by the time this episode comes out, uh, like, well, I'm recording this on Monday night for it to be released on Tuesday, and I spoke to Jeremy about 10 days ago. And 10 days ago, we were only about two or three days past the Lions releasing their alternate helmet, and I failed you all by not bringing it up during my discussion with Jeremy. So if you're, if you're, you know, sitting there waiting for me to bring up the new helmet and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, I forgot. I, <laughs> I forgot to do it. So we talk literally about everything else, but the damn, uh, helmet, even though that is definitely my area. So I apologize for failing you all. It won't happen again. So without further ado, let's go ahead and, and dive right into Jeremy from uh, Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit and talk about the Motor City Kitties, the favorite in the NFC North in 2023 to see if they can live up to those expectations and actually take the North from Green Bay and wrestle it away from us, uh, you know, while we're trying to grab it ourselves. So let's go ahead and dive right in. This is the NFC North preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the So here we are in our second journey through our NFC North brethren, and this time we're headed up to Michigan to talk about the Detroit Lions. And uh, depending on who you talk to, they could be the favorite to take the North this year and uh, you know carry on from the momentum they had at the end of the season, winning uh, you know eight of their last ten uh, to with to go from a one and six start to a nine and eight finish and just barely miss out on the playoffs. And of course. 
if we're talking about the Lions, our good friend from Pride of Detroit, Jeremy Reisman, is back to talk to us. Jeremy, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me, Larry. Good to, good to catch up a little bit here. So before we dive into kind of, you know, recapping last season uh, and everything, we were literally just talking about this before we hit record. You guys are going to have to sell me on. <laughs> and I don't mean like you need to make a pitch or anything like that. I mean, I'm going to have to see it done right. on the field because, and I think you'll appreciate it when I, when I say this, is that the Lions are like the Bears in the way that they we're not exactly known for stringing successful seasons together. So sure. we, we have this reputation for having that one year where we're bad out of hell, we come in, we're awesome, and then we'll take that very same roster, the very same coaching staff the very next year, and it's like it never happened. And, you know, I I love what I'm seeing. Like, I got the depth chart in front of me, and I, and I like it all. You know, you, you drafted Gibbs. You, you have Montgomery now. I have mixed feelings about that. But, <laughs> you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, you got, uh, you know, you drafted another Iowa tight. Is that like a law for you guys or something? I, I guess just, so. <laughs> just having to draft Iowa tight ends and, and whatnot. Just solid offensive line. You got one of the best defensive uh, pass rush tandems, you know, because of James Houston and obviously Aiden Hutchinson worked out like gangbusters and uh, and all that kind of. It's like on paper, it all looks good. And everybody's coming back uh, this year. And uh, I don't know what Jamison Williams has against starting a regular season uh, on time, <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those things where the, you know the lions are the lions have a reputation for lioning more than they don't. So you know while I believe it, and I'll probably be picking the lions to win the division, it's one of those I got to see it to believe it kind of thing this year. Well, yeah, and I think there's at least a little bit of that feeling amongst Lions fans too. Like I think everyone believes in Detroit that this team deserves respect for the way they finished the season, and they they certainly feel like they're as good of a team, if not significantly better than they were based on just personnel alone. But there's that, there's that feeling in the back of everyone's head. I would imagine if they're, if they're like me, I guess I can't speak for everybody that that's, it's that insecurity, right? It's that, okay, we've been optimistic before. I don't know if we've ever been this optimistic before. I mean, the lines haven't been division favorites in 30 years. <laughs> um, so, so there, there is some like, okay, this is actually kind of new. Maybe we should buy in, but, We've been hurt so many times. As as you know, Larry, I'm sure you, oh, Chicago yeah. fans have those seasons where you're just like, it's lining up. This is going to be our year. And then it just, you know, the team well, falls flat on know. their face. And you you hate yourself for even buying in at that point. Well, I mean, and, and recently for us, 2019, yeah. what, was there a bigger favorite in 2019 than the Bears repeating uh, in right. the North? And, you know, we fall flat on our face week one in front of the entire world against uh, Green Bay. Uh, a game, I mean, and I've said it a thousand times, we sacked Aaron Rodgers five times. They they had, like, you know, less than 200 yards total offense. We held them to 10 points. And if you go back and you watch that game, Green Bay kicked our ass somehow. <laughs> it's like, how do how can both of those things be true? Yeah. You know, it's like, how does the defense just come in absolutely ransack and ragdoll Rodgers and company? They only give up 10 points, and we still lost the game. Somehow, and when you watch the game, Green Bay was the better team. Like, how is that possible for both of those things to be true at the same time? And it was like Mitch never recovered from that game. It's like he lost his mojo that day, and he never ever got it back. So it just it was a disaster. After all that hype and the hope, and it was the 100th you know season of Chicago Bears football, mm -hmm. and all. And this is how we got it started. And it's like we never really uh, recovered from it. So it's like I'm I'm 
I'm rooting for the Lions except for those two weeks that we play uh, each other. You know how I feel about underdogs and, and all that kind of stuff. Anybody but Green Bay at this point, you know, really hoping that this is a year that we can all enjoy as far as the Packers right. uh, are concerned. And, um, and I feel – I feel like we've Go been ahead. talking about this for years yeah. now. It's just like <laughs> we need this division to flip on its head and finally like have the Lions and Bears be the teams that are yeah. fighting for first place. And that would be fun. I mean, it's it might be a little early to, to say that that's definitively happened, but it finally seems like it's headed in that direction. Yeah, the the Vikings are in the middle of something. <laughs> you know, it, I, they're not rebuilding. Maybe they're trying to reload. You know, it's uh, you ever see that movie Master and Commander, Russell Crowe? No. No. Oh, excellent movie. Well, anyway, they, they get attacked by another ship on the sea, and rather than go to port, Russell Crowe, who's the captain of the ship, decides that he wants to repair the ship while they're in the water floating mm-hmm. along kind of thing. And I think that's kind of what Minnesota's doing. You know, they yeah. still have Kirk Cousins. They have Justin Jefferson. They drafted uh, Addison from USC. And, uh, you know, even though they, they cut loose uh, Dalvin Cook and they've still got, you know, plenty of firepower uh, on the offense, the defense is a work in progress, so we'll see what go what happens as we go, kind of thing. That's what I kind of feel like the Minnesota uh, is doing this year, and and yeah, I also long for the for the early '90s during the Wayne Fonts, uh, Rodney <laughs> Pete, Eric Kramer, you know Barry Sanders days, where you guys were the ones you know going to the playoffs every single year, and the Bears were right behind you, or we were the ones fighting for first place in the NFC Central, the, yeah. the good old black and blue uh, division. So feels like centuries ago. Yeah, it does. It really does, especially since that's when all this mess got started. You know, right. like I have mentioned before, uh, I was on a Vikings podcast on draft night, you know, getting my reaction of what the Bears, you know, taking Darnell Wright and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And he had a Packer guy on the show, uh, as well, and he asked him about you know Jordan Love and, and all that kind of stuff, and I kind of cut in. I was like, God help me if Jordan Love <laughs> is another you know future Hall of Fame quarterback because when Brett Favre took over in Green Bay, I was 14 years old in 1992. I just turned 45. God damn it, I can't do this anymore. Okay, I really can't. So it's been long enough. Rodgers is finally gone. He's not gone, gone. He's gone enough, you know, that we don't have to worry about him anymore. It's about time that at the very least things evened out in Green Bay as opposed to the nonsense we've been dealing with for the last 30 years. God help us all. So, yeah. yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. So let's talk about this 2022 season of yours uh, real quick. Um the first, what, five games, you, you know, you, you have that. Basically, week one of this last year was the mirror image of week one the year before against the 49ers, where right. the Eagles jump out on this huge lead. You guys make a strong comeback, but ultimately come up short. You only you lose 38-35 to the eventual NFC champions, um, you know, and then week two, you beat the Commanders, and then there was the collapse against Minnesota, then the um, then basically the the Madden level shootout with the Seahawks a week later. Yep. Before inexplicably getting shut out in New England before the early week six bye, coming off the bye, you lose to the Cowboys twenty four to six. Those are like the two ugliest losses you have uh, yep. last year. Then, like the offense comes back a week later against 
the Dolphins, and then after that, that's when you guys went on your streak. You're one and six going into the into the Green Bay game. Uh, you know, you pick off Rodgers what three, four times uh, in that game. You eke out a fifteen to nine win. Then then you come to Chicago, get the win there, and you guys are off to the races. You beat the Giants. You you know you house the Jaguars and so on and so forth. Just through that, and and you know the next thing you know, it's it's nine and eight, and and uh, you know you're. You're playing for a winning record on Sunday Night Football, the last game of the season uh, against Green Bay and Lambeau, which you do. God bless you all. <laughs> yeah, that that was that. We, we I want to start there because man, that that last game, I I can't remember a Detroit Lions season ending on a higher note. Like period. Like right. in my lifetime, um, to be able to knock Aaron Rodgers out of the NFC North, to knock the Packers out of the playoffs, and complete an eight and two run to finish the season. Like what better way to send this team in a positive mindset going into 2023, even though there, there was obviously that, that yearning that's like, ah, man, if the Rams had beaten the Seahawks earlier in that day, the Lions would be in the playoffs and on an eight and two streak. Like who knows what happens after that? Maybe they get, I don't remember what the situation was with the seating, but if they get like Minnesota, that's a winnable game, right? Like, and then yeah. suddenly we're talking about playoff wins with this franchise when, you know, in year two of Dan Campbell, like it, that was such a, a fun game and to do it on a national stage too, is just like, I think that's why you're seeing all this optimism surrounding about Detroit because they made a very visible, impressive win against a team that was playing for everything against a team that had a hall of fame quarterback and, and had, you know, they were on a street. They were playing some pretty darn good football down the stretch, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that I mean, that that feels like if, if this team does turn the corner that I think a lot of people are expecting them to not just in 2023, but beyond that game is going to go down as, as one of the most important in, in franchise history. I would almost start. Sure. So tell me real quick, because like because like going through the schedule, I mean, obviously the Eagles, that was one where they got off to a big lead and you had to try to come back. Uh, later on but it's like after that with Minnesota and Seattle Minnesota was more of a collapse you guys had a big lead twice yeah in that game and they were able to come back later on and win and then Seattle it was just like there was no such thing as defense in that <laughs> right. game 48 45 you know you guys are uh they were they were always two scores ahead and you guys scored that last one to make it 48 45 you couldn't get the onside ball game over uh after that uh, kind of thing. But the one that I'm most interested in was in the middle of your streak there at the end when when you had no room for error at this point that lost to Carolina. Yeah. What happened with that Carolina game? Because every aside from like the New England and Dallas losses right at the end of the losing streak there, every other loss is a one-score game. But this Carolina game, they beat you by 14 I know it was on the road and all that kind of stuff. What happened in that game where you guys just couldn't couldn't put it together? Because the Panthers were kind of in a similar spot with you, right. even though they had a losing record and everything. They were in a spot where they couldn't afford to lose because they were playing in the worst division in football, and even at like you know six and eight or whatever what they were when they were playing you, they they still had a chance to to win the division at that point. Yeah, that that game sticks in a lot of Lions fans' craw. It, it's it's a fascinating one because really the thing that caused the Lions turnaround in the second half of the season was, wasn't their, their fifth ranked offense. It was their defense finally playing at a, an acceptable level. Like through the first month, month and a half of the season, 
this was a defense that was on pace for setting records for how bad it was. Yeah. Um, and then it got it together. Like they, they, they developed a little bit of a pass rush with James Houston kind of being a late season, um, you know, revelation. Um, Kirby Joseph, obviously the, the Lions rookie safety was, was starting to play really, really good football. And then Carolina comes and, and I think they ran for 300 rushing yards by halftime. Wow. And it, it was something crazy like that. Um, I know they definitely finished above 300 to, for the, for the game. And, I don't, I don't know if there's a good explanation for it because even the run defense started to turn around quite a bit in the second half of the season. Um, you know, uh, Chicago Bears quarterbacks aside. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like that game was just such an anomaly defensively with how things were trending, and the Lions just couldn't keep up because they were they – were, and it, it was like 40-yard run after 40-yard run. It was explosive run after explosive run, and we really hadn't seen anything like that maybe all season, but definitely not at least until the first half of the season. So I don't know if they just kind of ran out of gas on, on you know, uh, what was a tremendous streak. They had won six of the previous seven games, mm-hmm. or, you know, it, you know, I, I don't like to blame weather conditions and things like that, but that did happen to be a game in which the NFLPA uh, filed a complaint against the Panthers um, because the ground condition that the turf there oh. um, was didn't like pass the toughness test, like the, the hardness test. It was like too hard to play a football game on and, and be safe yet. They played through it anyways. But I mean, that's, that's an excuse. Like they, they beat the lines to the ground and um, it was embarrassing. And I, I don't, I don't really have an explanation of why it was so bad. Just everything that, that, used to be a problem with that team that seemed like they had fixed defensively all fell apart in one week and thankfully it didn't last the rest of the season. But yeah, that's, that's one that I think a lot of Lions fans are like, okay, is this defense really going to turn a corner? Because that's the only game, like that's the only game a lot of people can remember. Right. Yeah. And then the, the following week, the bears come to town <laughs> and um, I was still in the, uh, in the hospital at the time. And, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in the hospital, but you're not allowed to sleep when you're in the hospital mm. because there's nurses and doctors and whatnot checking on you, and, and you have to be awake for whatever it is they're coming in there for and all that kind of stuff. So it's more like you sleep when you can as opposed to sleeping when you would, like a normal right. human being uh, or whatever. So I was on almost no sleep going into that game. Very much looking forward to watching it, and after Justin Fields ran for 100 yards in the first quarter uh, – <laughs> Every time that I managed to wake up watching the game, somehow the score was getting worse every time I woke up, and it was just a an utter disaster. So I have very little uh, remembrance of that game outside of the Bears and their like first big push in the beginning. And I think having to settle for that field goal is kind of what what killed any mom- on offensive momentum that we had uh, in the you know early on uh, in the football game because, like I said, it just kept getting worse. First yeah. it was, you know, 21, then it was 35, and then 41. Like, what is – was like, I'm glad I'm sleeping through this. I wouldn't want to be watching <laughs> this uh, kind of thing. But it was just – for the Bears, I think they'd finally just run out of gas. Not so much on, like the league catching up to what we were doing offensively because right. it worked pretty damn well in the first 15 minutes uh, of the game. I just think that, number one, we're playing the whole season with a talent deficit, and then by that point – and the, we were so ravaged by injuries, we're literally pulling dudes off the street to finish to finish yeah. out the string. And I just think we we just ran out of gas as far as uh, as far as that goes. And then you go into that Sunday night game, uh, 
And you know, the thing that sucked about you guys playing at Sunday on Sunday night is that you knew your season was over before the the game even started. Yeah. With with uh, you know, Seattle uh coming up short. Was it that they was it the Rams beat them or that they beat the Rams? They beat the Rams. They did beat the Rams. In, I think it was in overtime too. So that was like I remember we're all waiting for that. Sunday night to happen, and yeah. we're all watching that game, and it's just ah, oh, it came so close. And it was like uh, Baker Mayfield served one up, and he got picked off. Yep, by Quandre Diggs, former Lion too. Yeah, yeah, yep. that one had to feel good. But yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like it, if he, I don't know if it, like if he leads the receiver, it's probably a big catch, or I forget because right. I remember Something texting like that, yeah. him. It was like, so who are you more pissed at, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield for throwing the pick or so-and-so for, or, uh, you know, for so-and-so for picking it off? And your answer was yes. So, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, but you guys finish out strong. Uh, you finish out great, making sure that Rodgers leaves Lambeau the same way that Favre did, throwing an interception for his last, <laughs> with his last pass attempt as a Packer uh, in Lambeau. And then, you know, Green Bay drama and everything they went through before he finally made his decision and then the trade literally went up to like draft day uh and whatnot so yeah so now we move into the off season a very important off season for you guys and you guys were busy during yeah. free agency which i think is putting it lightly actually <laughs> well i mean you you bring in you get you know cameron sutton trying to shore up that that uh, that secondary, Chan- Chauncey Gardner Johnson, you bring him in from Philadelphia. Emmanuel Mosley comes in, another corner. Um, you you know, I mentioned Cameron Sutton. Uh, who else? You got Jalen Reeves, Maben from Houston that comes in on that defense, trying to lock that up as well. You re-sign Alex uh, Anzalone, and uh, yep. was that it on defense? John Kaminsky also. Uh, C.J. Moore, you re-signed him as well. Well, and then he went off and gambled on the NFL. So. Oh, is he one of those guys? He, yeah, he's oh. one of the guys that didn't come back. Right. That isn't coming back. Okay. Yeah. So, but it was just, uh, you know, and then obviously on the offensive side, uh, David Montgomery, you guys signed him. And, and I thought that was such an interesting move for both parties, you know, because yeah. not knowing then what we know now, the, the thought about drafting Jamar Gibbs, in the first round, trading DeAndre Swift and all that kind of stuff, I was like, "Does it make sense to me that Montgomery would join what's already a crowded backfield in right. uh, in in Detroit?" And and at that time, Jamal Williams hadn't signed with the Saints yet, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So that was still out there, and it just didn't make sense at the time. But then it's like once everything started happening, you drafted Gibbs, you let Swift go. It's like oh, okay, that makes more sense. They had a different plan on what their one-two punch was going to be. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting that they, they made that effort to improve their, their running backs. And I, I don't know if they were like that eager to upgrade from Jamal Williams. I think they really did want to bring him back. But from from what I understand, the, the contract negotiating got a little ugly between him and, and Williams. And Williams even went public after he signed with the Saints and said, like, you know, they were they sent me something disrespectful. I heard other things from the other side. So I, the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but at some point the Lions were like, all right, we're not playing this game with you, Jamal. Welcome, yeah. David Montgomery. You're you're basically going to get the same kind of deal that we were trying to get Jamal for. And I would argue it's it's an upgrade. I'm sure you have your thoughts too. Um, but at, at the very least, they're getting younger at the position. You know, David Montgomery's, I think, a couple of years younger than, than Jamal. And 
And I think I think they were probably planning to upgrade from Swift. Like Swift had just not ever reached his full potential in Detroit. He was entering the final year of his deal, and so the fact that they were able to get Jameer Gibbs, I think, was maybe not something that they outright planned, but something that when they saw, they're like, "Oh, this is we got to do this." Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it it's it, it sucks to see Monty go. Uh, we knew that that was a possibility that he could get signed elsewhere. I don't think anyone anticipated that he would stay in division. Yeah. You know, obviously the only thing worse than, than signing with you guys would be with him going to Green Bay and back right. up Aaron Jones or whatever uh, up there. But, um, you know, and then it's uh, – then, uh, you know, I see the, the video or whatever where uh, I think it was a Lions video or Montgomery – yeah, um, you know, picks the the Bears or whatever, and makes it sound like it's going to be personal when <laughs> uh, when we play you guys for the first time uh, in 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 twenty twenty three. It's like, okay, I, I guess you know that's that sucks that a that he left and b that he's got feelings uh, about it. You know, it uh, you know it's kind of a because he's definitely a fan favorite. Everyone would have loved to have him back uh, and everything, and unfortunately, just didn't. Uh, work out that way so yeah it's interesting though because he like from very from what very little exposure i've had to him in person so far seems like like the sweetest guy like a really interesting story and and coming up to the nfl very humble in general and then you know i don't know if they're direct shots at chicago but like certainly certainly things that he said since he's landed here in detroit that has made bears fans upset um but i don't like i just don't Knowing knowing what I know about him, it doesn't feel like there's malicious intent with what he's saying. It's more just like, hey, I'm like I'm in Detroit now. Like we we have division expectations, we have maybe Super Bowl expectations. It wasn't like that in Chicago. I mean, there, it, it, like you said, there was was Monty in the team in, in that one year, 2019 or whatever it was. 2019 was his first year. That was his rookie yeah. season. So he wasn't here in 2018. When we went gotcha. twelve and four and won all those games and right. uh, and all that kind of stuff, he was joining the team that just did that. So yeah, um, but he also joined the team while Nagy was still running it, uh, <laughs> and therefore, uh, you know, there was that famous press conference he had in in twenty nineteen after the Chargers game, where rookie David Montgomery we ran the power eye for most of that football game. Montgomery's got one fifty and two touchdowns, and then Nagy tells the press corps, "I didn't come here to run the power eye." You sure about that, dude? Because uh, you know, working. you know, the rookie running back that we drafted kind of just went off today and looked like an animal uh, against the Chargers. And you, you don't think you want to go back to that? And I think Nagy just did that to prove a point because the week before, when we played the Saints on Walter Payton bobblehead day, by the way, we ran mm-hmm. the ball seven times for the entire game. So. Yikes. Yeah, that was his response was we run the power eye. We have, you know, like 200 yards rushing for the game. We almost beat the Chargers. And I was like, yeah, I didn't come here to run the power eye. He's like, you might want to rethink that, dude. Just just saying. So, you know, and then running the ball with Nagy was like pulling teeth. And, um, yeah, so anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it sucks that, that uh, you know, Monty's been, been saying those things and, uh, and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, Khalil Herbert had some things to say about that. And I think in the same vein as Montgomery, there's not anything malicious in what Herbert was saying, but he's just, you know, disagreeing with him about what the process uh, was like. Is it, yeah, it sucks to lose, but, you know, still had a good time playing, I guess, or, you know, especially last right. season 
with yeah. Fields and, and how exciting it was running the football and and all that stuff. It's like Monty had just as many good days as Fields and and um, you know Herbert did. So right, we'll see how that works out. Am I crazy? Has Graham Glasgow played for you guys before? Oh yeah, he was drafted by it. Okay, because so the I was Lions like, that was... ended up bringing back three guys who had previously played for them. So Marvin Jones, mentioned Jalen Rees, Maven, yeah, also drafted by the Lions. Oh, that's right. Okay, uh, Graham Glasgow, and then Marvin Jones. And Marvin Jones, right? I yeah. was like, okay, so they're bringing people back now. It's <laughs> yeah, like, very strange. I was like, Graham Glasgow, didn't he play for the try? And then I was thinking, am I getting him confused with Ragnow? Because it kind of sounds the same, right? No, I was right. Graham Glasgow was one of was one of yours, wasn't he? Like a first round pick too. Uh, I think third, but third. like he was a starter for a very long time. Yeah, here that's in Detroit. probably where that's coming from. Yeah, um, but yeah. So I was like, all right, Graham Glasgow was. Am I just getting names mixed up, or somebody's got a similar <laughs> last name or something? I was like, no, that's actually the same dude as before. So, but um, yeah, you. Uh, and then, like you lost, we already talked about Mike Williams or Jamal Williams. Mike Hughes is gone. GJ Chark was a one-year uh, experiment. Um, Evan Brown, Deshaun Elliott, Josh Woods, former Bear, off to Arizona, mm-hmm. and then you traded DeAndre Swift on draft day to Philadelphia. What'd you guys get for him? A twenty twenty-five fourth rounder, I think. Twenty twenty-five. Yeah. Okay. And, and there might be a, a late round swap somewhere in there as well, but yeah. I think that was the main thing there. Well, I think they couldn't give you a 2024 because they gave it to us to draft Jalen Carter. There you go. So that's uh, probably why that happened. But, um, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it was just a, a very active period for you guys. You didn't break the bank with anybody because Montgomery, even though he was a free agent, was relatively cheap, which is the other thing, which is what bothers Bear fans. Right. Is that we could definitely afford what you guys gave uh, Montgomery. So it's just a wonder of, did we at least offer that to right. him? You know, the three for 18, that's only six mil a season and, you know, uh, and all that kind of stuff. I just wonder, you know, where the disconnect was uh, and bringing him back. Because um, I don't think that Ryan Poles is a liar, but, you know, he's also <laughs> a general manager uh, right. who has to face the public and you don't always tell everyone the truth. But, uh, you know, he, he was saying before the season, during the season, and after the season that, you know, we definitely wanted to bring him back, but somewhere we came up short. So yeah. I don't know if it was, the, you know, maybe how the contract was structured. Maybe it was backloaded or, or whatever, you know, but uh, things didn't work out there. So he's off. And we got to play against him. <laughs> so. And it's like, and we know what Monty is capable of. Yeah. You know, he's one of the toughest running backs the NFL has to offer. Right. right now, um, I rem- think it was uh, Brett Coleman when I had him on the show a couple years back said that Montgomery has some of the most beautiful three yard runs in NFL history <laughs> because our offensive line was so bad. He was fighting guys out of the backfield just to get past the line of scrimmage. Right. You know, he's not an easy out for just about anybody. And I'd wager anybody find me a clip of one guy tackling him right. or actually not one guy tackling him. The first guy tackling him he's it's it's always an after contact thing with montgomery and i have a feeling that if he's motivated enough it might take that fourth or fifth guy to get montgomery down the first time we play you guys right it's interesting because uh aiden hutchinson was interviewed at the super bowl this year and was asked like who was the toughest guy to bring down 
and he said David Montgomery. Hmm. Uh, he said that he was like tackling a bowling ball out there, and then lo and behold, two two months later, they're teammates. Well, you know that was the thing. You know, sometimes when with these guys with their that that low center of gravity, they yeah. just keep plowing ahead, and 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 you know sometimes it's just too much. So you get, you can't bring the guy down, or you need help to do it. So yeah, yeah. it's uh. You guys definitely have a, a good one. You you replaced your short yardage back with with somebody who can definitely handle those one yard TD runs that Jamal Williams was so good at last year. He can definitely yep. handle that for yeah. you guys. So um, he might have actually gone up as far as uh, fantasy stock if that's what he's going to be doing for you guys. Maybe Jamar Gibbs will be the big run guy, and Montgomery will be the one that you bring in for the tough yard slash goal line. Uh, type I, stuff. I honestly think that's mostly the plan. I mean, I think. If, if, you know, if I had to predict what the 2023 season is going to look like for those two, I think Dave Montgomery is going to finish with more yards, more rushing yards and more rushing attempts. Jameer Gibbs is, is yeah, he's going to be that home run hitter. They're going to use him as a receiver a lot, mm-hmm. like more than I think people think, because you got to remember, like Dan Campbell is coming from the Saints where Alvin Kamara was a game changer. And I think they like they've, they've even mentioned Alvin Kamara a couple of times when talking about Jameer Gibbs. So, like, I'm talking 60, 70, 80 catches as a rookie season. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that draft. Because um, I remember reaching out to you on draft night because your first two picks seemed redundant for things that you'd done in free agent. Ex- you know, mm-hmm. extending slash re-signing uh, Anzalone, uh, signing David Montgomery, and then your first two picks – Jameer, Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, Jack Campbell, uh, the linebacker out of uh, Iowa. Iowa. You guys yeah. love those Hawkeyes, man. And, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, so it's like, I know they're, they're, they're probably different players that do different things, but as far as the position goes, they're redundant moves. It's like, so how did you, how did you feel about them, like knee-jerk, when those picks? Because I think everyone was surprised, not yeah. so much that the Lions took Gibbs, but win they took him at, at number 12. I don't think anyone thought he was going that high. Yeah. And I'm listen, I, I, I tend to land on the analytics side of, of arguments when it comes to football. And so <laughs> okay. drafting a running back that high didn't really sit well with me that night. Sure. Um, uh, and everyone, like everyone that follows pride Detroit knows like I'm Mr. Don't draft a running back really in the first two rounds. Uh, and so when Bijan got drafted by the Falcons at 10, or nine or whatever it was eight. I think yeah. I even tweeted out like few. And then of course, three picks later, egg on my face, the lions go and, and do something that no one predicted and, and draft the second running back at 12 overall. Um, it was a little more tolerable because they, they, they obviously traded down. Um, they were able to get, pick up a little bit more draft capital. If they just picked him at, at what it was eight, it's been like three months and I've already forgotten where the Lions yeah, Bijan went at eight with the Falcons. Eight. And so the Lions were originally picking then at, oh, at six, right? Yeah. Um, so they traded down from six to 12. If they hadn't done that and they picked either Jameer Gibbs or Bijan at six, I'd probably still be very upset. Um, but yeah, like I, with, I think with uh, Jameer, there's less overlap with David Montgomery that I get it. And, and if they are going to use him as a receiver as much as they are, well then, I think the value is is more than a traditional running back. Mm-hmm. The Jack Campbell one, though, that one surprised me, and that one I'm still kind of wrestling with. And I understand he is like their idea of him is he is going to be the centerpiece of this defense for the next ten years. Like, you got your middle linebacker, you got 
a smart, athletic, big guy. And, and I mean, you you know this coming from Chicago. Like, if you have that middle linebacker, mm-hmm. like that can be your defensive identity for a long time. The Bears have an awesome history of stuff like that. Sure. My concern is we to to have kind of that elite guy that that S tier linebacker is so rare, and people think all the time that they have, but there's really like five of them at the, in the NFL at a time. Yeah. And and so unless if the Lions got that guy. They're, they're great. They're set. I don't know. But I just, I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I don't think linebacker in, in particular is, is one of the more valuable positions that you can add in the draft. Um, so, you know, part of me wishes they'd maybe gone defensive line. Maybe they had gone defensive back. Now they addressed some of those needs later. So that takes some of the pain away. But Jack Campbell is, is I think, like, if we look back on this draft class in three or four years, I think Jack Campbell is going to be the pivot point of like, this was a successful draft. This was a draft they should have gotten so much more out of. And you know, what's funny is, is, you know, I, I honestly feel like Jack Campbell was, was a, was a backup plan as far as the picks uh, were concerned, because even at six, you'd missed out on Witherspoon because the Seahawks right. took him. Yep. Um, and then uh, by the time you got to 18, Gonzalez was gone. Uh, and, and everything, so corner wasn't an op because I was, I was think I was they were mocking either Witherspoon to you guys at number yep. six, and you know and whatnot. It's like okay, well if Witherspoon isn't there, then you know maybe maybe someone else will fall to you with your second pick or or whatever. And then the the he was uh, he was there at seventeen. Gonzalez was, and then this, the the Patriots took him at seventeen. So right. corner was off the board uh, for you guys. And I think the one two like you just mentioned. You think that linebackers are are easier to find than than running backs? You kind of proved that last year with uh, Rodrigo. Right, you got him in the sixth round, and he played really well for you guys uh, last year. I think linebacker is the running back of the offense as far as it's not devalued as in, in not being important, but it's like finding these guys is a lot easier than it used to be. Right, you know when when you know like go back to. You know, like the 95 draft, Kajana Carter was number one overall. That would never happen now. We're talking like an otherworldly talent would have to be the number one uh, overall pick. I mean, Saquon is, you know, being drafted at number two in 2018 is an anomaly these days as a part of something you can expect every single year, which is something that happened in the NFL over and over again in the 80s and the 90s when it was still more of a run-heavy thing. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, like, you, you also have to consider how everyone else in the league values linebackers. Yeah. If, if they're that common, you don't necessarily have to first spend a first-round pick on it. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the next linebacker that went off the board went off the board in the third round. <laughs> and so, I mean, you can view that one of two ways. You could say either Jack Campbell was that highly thought of, like that that much better than everyone else, that the Lions were smart to grab him before someone else did because there's a huge drop-off, or you can view it the more cynical way, which is no one is valu- valuing linebackers as much anymore. You could have gotten one as good or nearly as good in the third round. Yeah. Um, and I think I think your your interpretation of, of whether of which side you're on there probably depends on who your favorite team is. Right. Well, I mean, here I am from the you know, the Bears type of thing, grew up with Singletary, uh, had a little bit of a wait period, then here comes Erlacher, you know, a little bit of a wait period. We had Roquan, but Roquan was better in the 3-4 
than he was in the 4-3, which is why he was a beast for Baltimore when, when we traded him uh, last season. We got Tremaine Edmonds now, and I'm hoping that he's our next Erlacher-ish type player. Where he's going to be there manning the middle for the next decade uh, or whatever, because even though he's going into like his fifth or sixth year, he's still, like, still in like 25 right. years because he was drafted when he was 19. So, you know, hopefully he's around uh, for, for a long time, and he's that man in the middle that can be that next great uh, Bear uh, linebacker. So, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens uh, with that. Yeah. Uh, second Fingers round, crossed. second round, you had a, um, your first four picks, you had an Alabama-Iowa sandwich. You have uh, <laughs> yep. Alabama for, for Gibbs, uh, Iowa for Campbell. Second round, Sam Laporta, tight end from Iowa, so you went ahead and got another one of those. But you got him in the second round instead of the first uh, this time. And then the other second-round pick, Brian Branch, the safety Alabama out of Alabama. And the third round is where things get interesting, taking Hendon Hooker yeah. off the board. Because after Will Levis finally went off the board at, what, 35 or whatever for the Titans, Something that like was the next when-will-he-go guy. Yeah. You know, it was. I think it was surprised everyone that Hendon Hooker wasn't taken in the second round, and there he is for the Lions in the third, could quite possibly be your uh, your replacement for for Goff if you guys decide to move over, move on from uh, Goff. Maybe Hooker is your quarterback in waiting until then. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating situation, and I think we're all just kind of left here right now wondering what the long term plan is for Hendon Hooker because the the way the timeline works with Jared Goff's contract it feels like they're going to have to make a decision on golf before they know what they have in Hendon hooker. Cause obviously he's coming back from the torn ACL, but they've already said like, this is going to be a red shirt year for him. Right. So I don't expect him to be ready for training camp. I don't expect him to participate in training camp at all. So he probably enters the, the, his enters the season on the NFI list, which means he's going to miss at least the first six weeks, which means he's not even going to practice with your team until, you know, November ish. Right. And Jared Goff has two years remaining on his deal, which means after this year is when you start talking extensions. So by this time next year, will you know what you have in Hendon Hooker enough to say we're we're running it back with Goff for another three, four years? I don't know, man. I mean, you could always just say, like, listen, Goff, we're not going to give you an extension this year. Play out the final year of his your contract, and then we'll know what to do. But here's the thing, like, if Jared Goff balls out this year, like he kind of was at the end of last year, and the Lions do everything that everyone says that they're going to do, make the playoffs, win a playoff game, host a playoff game, make it, you know, at least to the, the divisional round, he's going to rightfully want a new contract and, and will have earned one too. So yeah. it's it's a fascinating situation to me. I think, I think right now they're probably of the mindset, like this is going to be our backup quarterback in 2024 and then we'll see where it goes. Like maybe his ceiling is, yes, he's going to be one of these new age mobile quarterbacks that can do a lot more than Jared Goff can do. And if so, great. He'll eventually take over. Maybe we'll, we'll do something like give Jared Goff a, a two-year extension and and do the whole Green Bay thing and, and have Hendon Hooker on the on the sidelines for three, four years. The, the only problem with that approach is that Hendon Hooker's already, what, 25 years old? So you're talking about... You're becoming the first full that you're becoming a full time starter when you're 29. Right. So it's it's a fascinating situation. I I wouldn't view it as a waste of a pick at all because if you it, I, I'm cool with taking kind of a lottery pick that that early in the draft you know a third, third early third round pick. 
I'm fine with that. It's just, it's kind of eating at me because I want to know what, what the plan is here. And yeah. I just, I, I don't know if they know yet or if they're just like happy with waiting and, and, and finding out. Well, I mean, at, at that point, even though it was only the 68th pick in the draft, it's a tremendous value pick right. for you guys because he was being mocked anywhere as being like that that last quarterback taken in the last couple of picks in the first round, like somebody right. somebody trading back into the first round to get him at the end to get that extra year of control on the fifth-year option that they get with first-round picks, or somebody that was definitely going in the second round, and here he is, you get him in like the first five picks of the – of the third round uh, or so it's it's a tremendous value pick for you guys because it was definitely wasn't a need especially after re-signing Nate Sudfeld uh, in the offseason you have a veteran backup quarterback to take over for Goff God forbid but Hendon Hooker's still there at 68 Um, why not take a chance on him he'll be a a cheap option for you because I think even even in today's salary cap the third round picks are only making a million dollars uh, season, so you're not breaking the bank if you get it wrong either. Right. So it's it's a it's a good value pick uh, for you guys, and and one that's not going to hurt you uh, in the process. So, but it does it does make an interesting quandary if Hendon Hooker is developing well, but golf is still balling out. You got to make a choice uh, at some point. Do you do you yeah. cut the cord and go with the you know with the I don't know how much younger he would actually be than golf. Um, but you know, do, do you go with the, the younger guy who's going to be starting late in, in his late twenties for the first time? Or do you go with the guy who's been doing it for you all along? So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, a situation. it's funny too, because like, I think, I think Lions fans have been comparing, uh, Jared Goff to Alex Smith for a while now mm-hmm. and saying like, oh, when do, when do we make that transition to, to Patrick Mahomes, right? Right. And now, and now, like, you're set up for that exact scenario to potentially play out because the Lions are competitive with Jared Goff. Um, they, you know, they didn't, they haven't given him a chance like, the, like the Chiefs gave Alex Smith a chance to like get them to the Super Bowl. So we don't know if, if Jared Goff can get them over that hump because they haven't even arrived at the hump yet to get over. Right. But, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, they're putting themselves in this position where it's like. Okay, Jared Goff is is about to get paid a, a heck of a lot of money. Do you want to be one of those lucky teams that has a pretty good surrounding cast around him, and then can move to that rookie contract where you can continue to maintain to have a good surrounding cast around Hendon Hooker? And so yeah. it's 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 I think in general it's a good position to be in, even if it's a little bit awkward right now. And I think that's that's also an interesting. A problem, a nice problem to have, right. but an interesting problem for you guys. If you have this amazing supporting cast, you feel like you could plug just about anybody in there. Right. So do you go with the cheaper, you know, somewhat younger guy uh, to you know to fill in the blanks with this amazing supporting cast, or do you have that supporting cast because the quarterback that you had was the right. one that was that was then elevated them. Right. You know, because yep. there was nothing there when Jared Goff came in as far as the weapons that you guys have now uh, and everything, and they made it work last season. Him and Ben Johnson and everyone else involved put together a hell of an offense uh, last year, and then they've built this thing up. Do you hand it over to someone? Do you give the keys to somebody else, or do you let the guy behind the wheel keep driving uh, yeah. kind of thing? It's an interesting uh, situation. So. Um, but uh, after you got Broderick Martin, another third-round pick, a defensive tackle out of Western Kentucky, then you only had two other picks, one in the fifth, one in the seventh. You got an offensive tackle from 
William and Mary, and then you got Antoine Green, a wide receiver out of North Carolina. Expecting anything from either of those two? Um, probably not a lot in 2023. I think Colby Sorstel is a guy that they have high hopes for in the long term, maybe taking up that, that starting right guard spot. But right now they have Vitae. They, they have Graham Glasgow, as you mentioned, uh, to kind of fill out the depth there. I think their their hopes is that Colby Sorstel is either a starter or um, on his way to being a starter by next year. Um, as for Antoine Green, I, I'm not sure because the Lions are obviously in an interesting situation here with, with Jameson Williams' suspension where there's going to be a temporary spot at wide receiver on that 53 initial 53-man roster. And and I think the first three or four guys, four guys are pretty much set on the roster, but five, and, and if they keep a six, they're wide open. And so Antoine Green could slip his way onto there, and, and maybe that means he, he has a special teams role early on. Maybe he even gets... A little bit of offensive time, but uh, but I don't think I don't think we're looking at like a Malcolm Rodriguez situation where either of those guys are, are starting week one. So Williams last year was more about the fact that he hurt his he blew out his knee in the last college game of the season yep. uh, in the national title game. Uh, so he was pretty much out for most of uh, last year. How many games did he play in last season? Four, I or think five? six. Okay. But he never played more than I think fifteen snaps in a game, so, so he was they, never he yeah. never really had a full time role. So last year they had him on a pitch count when they did yep. uh, get him back. So now he's going to be fully healthy going into the off season, therefore healthy through the off season program, and then the gambling thing happens. So now he's out. What six games he's yep. suspended now? Um, yep. So the first one wasn't his fault. The de- second one is more like the NFL nitpicking. Something because he wasn't obviously betting on pro football because we're not in season right now. But the fact that he made a bet on team facility grounds is what got him suspended. Yeah. Is and so so I mean, is the is the is the organization upset with him at all? I mean, you know, they made this investment in bringing him in and it's going to be the middle of his second year before we actually get to see him out on the field doing something significant. I mean, pro- I mean, behind the scenes, probably, but it's hard to maybe point him to him specifically since four other guys got suspended sure, on the team yeah. for the same thing, and two of them got suspended for betting on the NFL, which is a far worse and far less, uh, I think, uh, far far. I mean, far more deserving of, of actual punishment. Sure, right? sure, sure. Um, and so, I, I mean, I don't know, like. There's been a lot of talk about Jamison Williams and his character even before this, and I think most of it is nonsense. Like, he liked a tweet that said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if Lamar Jackson was playing in Detroit or something like that? And so some people thought that was disrespectful for Jared Goff just to like a tweet. You know, he goes out and he's on Instagram Live at 2 in the morning. That bothers some people, but, like, I don't know. I don't think the – I mean, the Lions obviously took the gambling thing very seriously after all these – suspensions came down uh, they would be stupid not to because obviously it wasn't communicated well to to their players and even some people inside the organization got fired um some non-players so hmm. it was it was a big mistake i don't i don't think they're looking at jmo and saying like wow what a stupid mistake you made yeah i think they're looking internally and saying what happened with us i mean the nfl is doing the same thing right too like they're like oh we did not communicate this properly we're gonna now make Rookies go through this intensive training on gambling. We're going to have people go out to every NFL site and and teach the rules to everybody. Everyone, I think, is now admitting, like, okay, 
gambling is this changing beast where now you can make bets in seconds on your pocket. It's legal in all these states where it wasn't five years ago. We need to catch up on our educational system because we screwed the pooch. And and listen, it's not going to – what we've heard so far, it feels like a little bit of just tip of the iceberg, right? Like there's still that Colts guy who's probably going to get indefinitely suspended. There might be even a second wave beyond that. So it's we're not done with this issue, but it, it, it's very clearly that the Lions messed up, the NFL left, messed up. Obviously, JMO messed up and, and the people who bet on the NFL messed up. But um, I don't think there's that much of a concern about – JMO. There's there's certainly a frustration though, right? Like sure. this guy's going to be what twenty four games into his NFL career. Um, granted, he missed you know eleven of them his rookie season. Now another six um, with one catch to his name, and so <laughs> you, you're not getting the value that I think you thought you get, were going to get out of that first round pick. But at the same time, if this guy goes and balls out for the final two months, final three months of the season, we're going to forget about all this pretty quickly. Sure, sure. So let's look ahead uh, to the season. And um, you guys got dealt an interesting card to kick off the uh, <laughs> the year. I mean, it's definitely going to be a big test for you and, and an opportunity to make a statement uh, as to who the 2023 Lions are going to be. And that's because you were chosen to be the opponent to the defending world champions on the first game of the year on Thursday night uh, to kick off the uh, to kick off the season. Uh, you're going to Arrowhead, defending world champs. They're raising the banner and and all that kind of stuff. And the team that was on one of the hottest streaks in the league at the end of the season is facing the team that was on that had the hottest of hottest streaks and won it all uh, last year. So I mean, it was an interesting choice. I thought for a second maybe it was going to be the Bears after the Chiefs refused to play us over in Germany. Yeah. They, they didn't want that Chicago Bear revenue going anywhere else and and <laughs> and whatnot. So, you know, but it's uh, it's it ended up being you guys. Interesting, uh, you know, interesting thing the NFL is doing there. Uh, your thoughts when when you uh, when when it was announced? It was surreal, honestly. Yeah, um, you know, I, I it was there. There had been rumors that came down the the day before the schedule release that it was true and. I didn't. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know if, if I was thinking, ah, this is just some dumb rumor, or I don't, or is this could, something that could actually be true? And the more I thought about it, I'm like, I mean, they could do this. I, yeah. I really thought they would go with like maybe a Super Bowl rerun. You know, the the Chiefs play the Eagles. Maybe they go Bills or, or Bengals. You know, a bunch of really good matchups there. And then I was like, oh, those games are gonna hit no matter what. What if they want to put the the lines to the test early on? And I. I as, as much as the Lions have had, like, little bouts of, of decent success, you know, there were a couple really good Matthew Stafford years where it looked like they actually had a really good team. They never really ever seemed to make a blip nationally. They never really seemed to get the respect nationally. And so for the very first game of the season to be like, all right, Lions, welcome to the big leagues. You're like, oh, you guys, you guys noticed? Like, yeah. we're not used to, like having that sort of attention. We're used to thinking that we're really, really good. We're not really used to you thinking we're really, really good. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's fascinating. I, I don't, I don't love it. You know, this is a team that started 0 10 and one the first year under Dan Campbell. They went one and six the second year under Dan Campbell to start. I was hoping for a layup or two to start the year just to kind of get the ball rolling yeah. just to like, because everything is getting so hyped up right now. If the Lions start, Oh, and two, which they very well could, you know, Seattle's the the, the following right. week and Seattle's going to be a good football team. Uh, is everyone going to like suddenly, you know, both same old lines, you know, skies falling. 
I knew we shouldn't have bought into the scene. Like, no, I, I didn't want that. Like, I wanted a nice, like, four and one start against layups. And then, and then once everyone is kind of hitting their stride, then we take on the behemoths, like the Chiefs and, and, and the Seahawks and, and all that. But um, at the same time, like, if they win that football game, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Then, and then the hype train is is on and rolling as as hard as it's ever been. And that that second game against Seattle, that's going to be the loudest I've probably see, heard Ford Field in in years, decades, maybe. Yeah, going to be interesting rematch week two when the when the Seahawks come in because that was one of the more exciting football games overall. Yeah, uh, last year, forty eight to forty five, you know, just a back and forth video game type matchup uh, between you guys and. Um, you know, I think what, what made it really exciting is that you, both teams were doing it in different ways. Right. You guys were doing it through the air, and Seattle was running the ball. Like those yep. two big Richard Penny touchdown runs and, oh, and everything. Yeah. Especially that, that last one was killer, man. Yep. That last one, that was the dagger uh, right there that put him up by 10 <laughs> uh, again. But then, again, you guys come charging right back. You score again, make it a field goal game. Don't get the, the onside, and there she, there she goes. But it was just one of those really fun games that any football fan could appreciate not just Seahawks and Lions uh, right. fans so it'd be interesting when they come into town then you have the Falcons right on the heels and the Falcons are going to be an interesting team uh, this year because they have offensive power to spare now yeah. with Bijan Robinson Drake London Kyle Pitts if he's healthy and ready to go uh, at the beginning uh, of the season Desmond Ritter is going to be the big question for them can he step in and just can they hit the ground running um, you know, uh, with him uh, back there and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, could they be the team that, that emerges in, in what was the weakest division in football last year uh, in the South uh, and, and whatnot? And then an interesting schedule course for you guys because <laughs> apparently uh, you aren't allowed to play Green Bay on Sundays anymore because <laughs> both Green Bay games – you yeah. play week four at Lambeau on Thursday night, and then you play them again week 12 on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So two, two games against Green Bay in 2023, both on Thursday this year, and including – did you play them on Thanksgiving last year? No, you played Buffalo on Thanksgiving Buffalo, yep, last that's year. Right. It's kind of getting to the point where you play Green Bay more on Thursday than you do on Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, because this year uh, it's not happening in – on Sunday at all, it's it's two Thursday games against uh, uh, Green Bay, which is um, that's the first time I've ever seen something, yeah, uh, like that. And, I mean, the the lines are usually the, the interesting thing is that the lines are usually spared of Thursday night games because they play on Thanksgiving, so they you know they're they're usually not part of that Thursday night football. That I, I think some people think that as as kind of a blessing for them, they don't have to deal with the short weeks and all that sort of stuff. And, and this, this year they have three yeah. uh, Thursday games, the Thanksgiving and then two Thursday nights. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's in general, it, it, I don't actually think it's as bad as maybe it looks sometimes, you know, it's not going to be great right. coming off a short week playing the Falcons, but the Packers are obviously also coming off the short week. Right. Yeah. And then you get, you get the extended break after that, you get the, 10 games or 11 games or 11 days in between that game and your next game. So it's, it's a weird quirk. Um, I'm not that bothered by it, but it just, it, it looks weird. And yeah, I, I, I also am of the belief that the NFL would be a much better place if there wasn't Thursday night football, but Amen, brother. that's obviously Amen. never gonna, like, they're never going to be like, you know what? Football needs to be on fewer nights. Like they're yeah. not going to do. That, so 
So yeah, that's unfortunately yeah not going to happen. So um, yeah, I too was enamored with the novelty when when they first started doing Thursday night games. Like this is great. Yeah. NFL starts early, you know, blah blah blah. Great way to kickstart the weekend and blah blah blah. And then after a while, it was like. Number one, the matchup sucks. Number two, the football isn't that great because these guys just played a few days ago yep. uh, kind of thing. There's a reason you only play once a week, guys. And, you know, it's like it's you know not all that great. And then there was that time where Thursday night was color rush, and I am a uniform snob. I could not stand that shit. I was <laughs> like, oh, my God. You know, I'll never forget the ketchup and mustard bowl right. between the Rams and the Buccaneers. Yep. You know, the, the, the Rams are head-to-toe yellow the the buccaneers are head to toe red it was like the worst thing and then there's always the infamous um was it colorblind bowl where <laughs> the the i would think it was the bills and the the jets wore head to toe red and green which are the yeah. colors you can't see if you're colorblind so they just looked at two teams in head to toe gray out there on the field <laughs> on a green field on top of that so i think people who were colorblind couldn't really see the game you know, like maybe they saw the heads floating around back and Jeez. forth. You know, I, I would love to know what that actually looked like to some people because it was one of those. It was a thing. People were upset that, you know, the NFL did that. So but uh, yeah, so it's like I've I've the, 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 the shine was off the apple with Thursday Night Football pretty early uh, yeah. for me. And I, I really do wish it was something that would go away. And then you, like the Bears, are one of those teams that got tasked with two Thursday night games. Uh, this year is like, oh, yay, great, you know, right. fantastic. So, you know, and also the thing with, with us as content creators, that uh, that oh. short week between, you know, the, the game wrapping up on Sunday and there's a Thursday game, it just puts everything into fast forward for yeah, us. It's a nightmare. So, yeah. For, on a personal note, it's just like, oh, God, this is going to suck. Yeah. You just have to basically double up the work because you got to do it all in a shorter period of time. So, but after the Thursday nighter at Green Bay, you come back home and take on the Bryce Young-led Calif- Cal- California. Wow. Carolina <laughs> Panthers. It's been a long day. Uh, then you're at Tampa Bay, at Baltimore, home for the Raiders on Monday night football before a week nine bye week. So right there in the middle of the season. Nice bye week uh, to have. But uh, interesting schedule for the first uh, eight games. KC, yeah. Seattle, Atlanta, Green Bay. The first four, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Las Vegas. And... Um, so aside from like Kansas City and potentially, you know, maybe like the Ravens or something, it's nothing to, to really worry about. So one in six, I don't think is going to happen for <laughs> I you sure guys not. this year, not with the schedule that you have in front of you. Now, of course, we're looking at this through the through the 2022 lens of things. And, and you know, every right. year is different. But, you know, if we're basing it all on what happened last year, there's really not much to be afraid of these first uh, first eight games. Yeah, no, it's it's. I think it settles down nicely because I think I, I honestly think like Chiefs, Seahawks at Packers, three of your first four games, that's tough. That's a tough yeah. draw, and the Falcons are going to be better than they were last year too. So, I look at that first quadrant, that first quartet, whatever you want to call it, and I'm thinking like if they can come out of that two and two, I'm feeling all right. Because then you then you like you attack the rest of the NFC South there, Panthers, Buccaneers. I feel like you should at least you should probably win both those games. Absolutely, I know they're. I know they're going to be up for that Panthers game for what happened last year. We just talked about it. Sure. And then and then you throw in that Raiders game, Monday night football in Ford Field, the first time they've had a Monday night football game in, in years. That's going to be a hopping environment. That's going to be a really loud environment. Has so it you, been since the uh, 
the Sam Darnold pick six on the first I, throw game? Was that the last Monday night? I nighter? believe that is. Two th- yeah, 2018, the, the first game that kicked off the Matt Patricia era where he made Sam Darnold look like Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So, like, I, I look at that next four games, I'm like, okay, three and one seems realistic there. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, it's interesting, though, right, because they play three NFC South teams and one NFC North team in the first game. Yeah, the NFL is is really uh, you know they really backload the division schedule. Yeah, uh, for just about uh, for everybody, you know. And yeah. I know that that's supposed to be exciting, but it also can be very boring at the same time for the familiar faces to be. I mean, and to happen in such an important time uh, of the year, kind of thing. I get what the NFL is trying to do, but it's like after the bye week, you have all you have five of your division games. So in the yeah. last nine. Nine games, you have five division games. Both games with us. And then this, I don't know what the hell the NFL is doing here. Your first game against Minnesota is week 16. (laughs) And then your last one is week 18. You have this Minnesota-Dallas-Minnesota sandwich at the end of the of the season. And I was like, is this right? Am I reading this right? As I'm taking notes and all that kind of stuff. I was like, no, there it is. First matchup, week 16. Next matchup, week 18. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I mean, I've seen it where, you know, because I think one year we didn't play each other until like week 13 and we played again almost immediately after that kind of thing, but not two of the last three games of the season. I've never seen that before. And I I appreciate that because I think by that time the Vikings are going to be out of the playoffs. They might not even be playing Kirk Cousins anymore. And so (laughs) two two easy dubs there. Why not? Yeah. What I what I'll, I'll say this I don't like playing the Bears as late as, as we are this year. Yeah, because I think they're a team that by the time you know Thanksgiving rolls around or you know no mid November rolls around, which is when the first matchup is. Yeah, I think that's when the Bears might finally have their feet. And like I keep comparing them to being a year behind where the Lions were, and obviously the Lions got hot at the second half of the season last year. Right. If that happens to the Bears, we're catching them at the exact wrong time. I think. Right, and you have to play them twice in four weeks. Yep. So yeah, it's um, yeah. So off the bye, you're at the Chargers, then home for the first matchup with the Bears, then short week, Thanksgiving Day against Green Bay, and then on the road at New Orleans, at Chicago, and those are the first five games off of the bye, and then after that, you got the Saturday game against the Broncos at home, at Minnesota, at Dallas on Saturday night. So you got two Saturday games. Or it's like that week 15 is that TBD week. Yeah, the Broncos you know? game is technically TBD right yeah. now. So, I mean, when I was looking at it uh, you know, online, it says Saturday the 16th, but it also says TBD right. at the same. So it could be Sunday the 17th or whatever. But, yeah. you know, the Broncos are at home that weekend whenever the game is being played. Then you're at Minnesota Christmas Eve, Saturday night against the Cowboys uh, on the road, and yep. then home for the Vikings to close out the uh, – year so yeah five of your six division games in the last eight weeks and you know so not a lot of room for error there and uh you know and like you mentioned if uh you know if the bears are finally figuring it out you know you don't want to be meeting them for the first time week 11 you want to be closing it out week 11 so yeah certainly don't not eager to to even watch that game on soldier field on on january 10th (laughs) Right. Or I'm sorry, December 10th, December yeah. 10th. Yeah, yeah, definitely December 10th in Chicago. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's uh, – but, again, looking through the lens of 2022, 
you have those, uh, you know, you have the Saints, um, the Chargers. I'm really interested to see what the Chargers are going to do this year because despite all the injuries that absolutely ravaged that roster last year, they still managed to win 10 games and make it to the playoffs last year. Imagine what they could have done if they were healthy all year long uh, kind of thing. And, and, you know, they're also kind of putting all their chips in the basket because salary cap-wise – they're going to have to make a decision on Justin Herbert here uh, pretty quick, which means they can't afford to keep everybody else. So um, they kind of need to have it done now. It's, you know, they're a desperate franchise at this point because they're going to have to hit the reset button to be able to keep Herbert and uh, try to keep winning uh, at the same time. It's interesting because, like, again, they feel like one of those teams where it's like it would have been nice to face them early rather than late because, you know, they're going through a new offensive system, right? They 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 fire Joe Lombardi. Yeah. They bring in Kellen Moore. So maybe by week 10 they, they have it figured out. So I, I, would, I would say the same for the Broncos too, right? Like they were a joke last year, but they're going through some a lot of changes this year. Are they going to be a legitimate team by December? It's possible, right? I don't think Russell Wilson is like – he suddenly lost all of his talent, right? There's there's some way to get that still out of him, and and whether Sean Payton will be able to do it or not, we'll, we'll probably know by December. Yeah, if Payton can't fix him, nobody can, right? You know, um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think that Wilson was washed going in. I was actually really excited to see the AFC West going into last season, right? Because I just thought it was going to be, no pun intended, the Wild West over yeah. there. You know, with with all four teams having really, really good or great. Uh, quarterbacks uh, on the roster you know you got you know Mahomes Herbert Carr and now Wilson it's like who's going to be the the last man standing in that division kind of thing and will they have any juice left in the playoffs kind of thing after beating the hell out of each other uh, throughout the season and then it turned out Kansas City was the only one that showed up to the party uh, (laughs) last year because the Chargers for one reason or another you know rabbit you know injured by uh, ravaged by injuries the Raiders just seemed to not be able to get out of their own way last yeah. year, shooting themselves in the foot constantly, whether that was on McDaniels or whatever. And then the Denver just, ooh, been, did they make a wrong choice in Nathaniel Hackett? That was just a yep. – he was an unmitigated disaster no uh, last year, just completely out of his depth as a as a head coach. Didn't even survive the first year. I mean, that's that's horrible. I mean, it wasn't even on the Urban Meyer level. Where it was just like you know what we got to get rid. He's just he's just out of he's not an NFL. Right. Coach. He needs to go back to college. But yeah, yeah. No, he was just you know go back to calling offensive plays, which is what he's doing in New York now. So we'll see if he can get his mojo back. But yeah, as far as being a guy that runs the whole team, he was not the choice, and that was painfully obvious from the beginning. So yeah, it was uh, uh, an absolute mess out there uh, in Denver. <laughs> So, you know, so they desperate guys they had to they, they had to do desperate things. So they had to trade uh, after giving up the farm for Russell Wilson last year. They had to trade away more assets to bring in a Sean Payton, not to mention paying him whatever it is they're paying him right. uh, to come in, which I'm sure is astronomical yep. uh, and everything to uh, to try to right the ship uh, out there because they're all in on on Wilson. Five years, two hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're paying the guy, so you gotta you gotta make that work one way or the other. So yeah, well, hopefully it takes them an extra year to figure it out. Yeah, at least one more, <laughs> at least one more. Let them be a moderate because we get them. I think week week five, week six, or something. Yeah, like that. So that's when you want to play those guys when they're still figuring yep. it out. Not you know for you guys week fifteen. You know either at that point they'll either have it figured out or yeah we're we're 
they're trying to trade Russell Wilson to get <laughs> right. out from underneath that contract uh, and everything uh, by that point uh, in the season. So, so let's hear it, Jeremy. Uh, roof, ceiling, you know, ceiling, floor. What are we looking at for the Lions this year? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think with the schedule, with how they finished the season, anything below 500 would be a pretty massive disappointment. So sure. I, I would say, maybe, you know, given that any team can incur a, a, a key injury here or there and, and you know, just the randomness of, I think, of football in general, I think I'll set the, the floor at nine and eight. Okay. Um, Man, I when when you talk about the ceiling of this team, it you, you start to say some things you've never said about this franchise, and it's scary um, because I like I do think a a thirteen and four season is like possible. I'm not going to predict them to get a thirteen and four season, but there there aren't a lot of teams where I can point to and be like that team is way better than the Lions. Yeah. The Lions have no chance in that game. It, it's the Chiefs, it's maybe the Ravens, and the Cowboys. Like those are the only ones where I'm like. Lions are probably outmatched on paper, mm-hmm. clearly, and that's it. Yeah, and and like they're, I would say they're they're right there with the Seahawks. Um, who else is even like the Chargers? I would say maybe have a, a an advantage. And and listen, like obviously the re- the rest of the games they have to win all those. They have to win all the games that they're better than the other team, and they haven't shown that they can consistently do that. Right. Um, but I just I, I I really think this is top to bottom the most talented Lions team I've seen at least since 2014 when they probably should have gone deeper in the playoffs than they did. And before that, like we're talking mid to early nineties. And so I I do think this team is legit. Like I do think that they, the way they played last season, a 10 game span is a big enough, you know, sample size to be like, okay, that team was actually playing really, really good football. And, And it's not just that they were eight and two it's that they were, like third in DVOA over the last 10 games. Like they were one of the best teams in football. They're, at least they were playing that way consistently. Um, and so, I mean, I think I probably have them at 11 or 12 wins. And even that feels weird and gross and disgusting and setting myself up for <laughs> failure. But I, I just look at the schedule. I look at the teams around them. I look at the division and I'm just see a bunch of teams that aren't ready to compete with the bad boys. And the lines are like, they just are. And yeah. There, there are certainly things that can happen that, that derail everything. Maybe Jared Goff takes a step back. He's obviously a huge question mark uh, and, and you know, key to whether this team is going to succeed or not. But, man, I just – I have a hard time holding myself back, and, and I'm usually Mr. Careful. I'm usually Mr. – you know, they, they joke about it on, on, on our podcast that, that I'm Debbie Downer, that I'm the wet blanket, and I have a hard time wet blanketing this team right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, bro, you sound like me before 2019. <laughs> Don't you know, say that. I was just so excited. <laughs> you know, you couldn't talk me down from like 12 and 4, 13 and 3. Yeah, we went 8 and 8, and it was a oh, merciful boy. 8 and 8 that year. It was what I like to call a lot of yeah, but victories mixed up in that 8 and 8 season yeah. uh, in 2019. It was, And sadly, man, it was one of those years where we got to the end of it, and my first thought was was not like it usually is. Oh, man, football season's over. No, it was like, thank God that's over. Thank God I don't have to sit through this every week. Thank God I don't have to go on the show and try to talk myself into, you know, them being able to show up for this one or will they actually hit the field prepared, you know, and ready to go, which I don't think has ever been a problem for Campbell 
uh, you know, and the Lions as long as he's been the head coach. You usually, you guys generally show up ready to play. With Nagy, that was always an issue. We were always playing from behind in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Not so much on the scoreboard, but definitely on the field. Like, we didn't watch tape all week long, and we're just learning about our opponents as we play them uh, on the field kind of thing. So it was... Um, yeah, but. you're you're like my ghost of Christmas past right now, like just <laughs> w- warning me from from the grave. Like I've been to where you were, and it's not as glorious as you think. <laughs> but I think it just kind of goes back to the first thing I said when we started talking, as far as the you know historically, our two franchises, yeah. unfortunately, not known for stringing successful seasons together. Right. You know, and it's just it's it's more about you know like if you want to be you know call ourselves the wet blankets. Uh, on this one that's why it's more of a you know prove it to me type thing like I believe the Lions are absolutely capable of everything you're talking about I think a 12 and 5 13 and 4 season is possible for the Lions because I agree I look at the schedule I was like 50 50 shot on going 0 and 2 to start like I you know probably have a better shot of being Seattle at home than Kansas City on the road it's like but I like you guys against the Falcons you know, at Lambeau can be tough, but you've won there before when they had a better quarterback uh, yep. on the team. So that's definitely possible. Yes, against Carolina. Yes, Tampa Bay. On the road to Baltimore might be tough, but then home for the Raiders. Uh, first Monday night game in five, six years. Yeah, I like you guys there. You know, thing with the Chargers. Do you guys travel well? The fans? Um. Yeah, I would say decently well. There'll, there'll be a good amount of Lions fans there. I think, especially. I don't. I don't think Chargers fans travel well. Well, that's what I was. That's what I was saying because when the Bears play the Chargers, I think we play in Week Eight in yeah. in L.A. That's going right. to be a Bears home game. Yeah, because number one, the Chargers don't really have a stronghold in Los Angeles, and number two, the Bear fans we travel extremely well. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's going to be a home game for the Bears. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a matter of how well that helps out when the game is being played. The Chargers is always a questionable thing. They're, they're one of those teams that has those inexplicable losses every right. year. You know, like, where the hell did this loss come yeah. from? It's like you should have ravaged this team, and instead they ragdolled you. What happened there? And yeah. then they'll come out the next week and, and, you know, take Kansas City to the limit. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Kansas City's way better than those guys that beat the piss out of you last week. What happened? Yeah, so never never pick the Chargers in your survivor pool. Either way, like yes, never pick against just, them, never pick for them. Yeah, just not a good team, not a good idea. Then the first game against us is at home. I like you guys there in Chicago. Four weeks later, eh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but it's like home for Green Bay on Thanksgiving. Yes, at New Orleans, the Saints is one of the big wild cards of the NFC for sure this year. Like, I don't know if they're going to be the class of that division or if they're going to choke their ass the same way they did last year because they have some really weird losses on their schedule yeah. last season. But, you know, it's just it's one of those. I was, you know, just thinking when, when I was looking at their schedule and I was researching them, it was either the offense, when the offense showed up, the defense didn't. When the right. defense did show up, the offense didn't. So it was like one of those things like watching the Cubs <laughs> play it's like our pitcher can pitch a one hit uh you know game but that one hit was a home run and our offense could not score any runs or we come out there and we score 12 runs but our pitchers gave up seven runs in the first inning and we lost 15 to 12 kind of thing that you know that's kind of what the the season that the saints had last year they never really seemed to put both together at the same time uh kind of thing so i'm just wondering how that's going to translate again this year how well is Derek carr going to fold into things and uh, and all that 
then like you said, you got Denver at home, you're at Minnesota, at Dallas, and then home for Minnesota. So it's like, you know, 11 and 6, 12 and 5. Those are all definitely within, like, you know, I'm not laughing yet kind of yeah. thing, you know, thinking right. about the Lions 11 and 6, the Lions 12 and 5. You know, it doesn't start to get funny until we get into the 14 and 3, 15 and 2 uh, range, you know, of the conversation. But it's just, right. it's one of those things. And I'm, and I'm, I'm having some 2019, you know, hype for the for the Bears myself this yeah. year, and sure. excited about DJ Moore. We've we've solidified the offensive line. Everybody's back from last year as far as the coaching staff, so we're not learning new systems yep. or anything like that. Chase Claypool is apparently adapting well to the to the system where he was kind of learning on the fly uh, last year, and. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. We've beefed up the, you know, we have one of the better back sevens uh, in the division uh, this year with, with Edmonds and TJ Edwards coming in, adding him to Jack Sanborn and all that kind of stuff. We're an interesting group. And, you know, for me, the floor to ceiling obviously is, is the spectrum. You yeah. know, we can go six and 11, we can go 12 and five, depending on how I'm feeling that day. So obviously <laughs> the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Like maybe, right. you know, anywhere from eight to 10 is probably the realistic number yep. but it's like you go through the schedule sometimes i'm like yep no and uh, you know i can go through it and we're six and eleven and then the next day i can go through it it's like yeah we got that 12 and five boom you know <laughs> that kind of thing so you know it's one of those things it's like our floor ceiling is is definitely a lot more of a wider spectrum than i think yours uh is but um i agree you know it, it's one of those where it's it could it could definitely it wouldn't i don't think anyone would be floored to see the bears go 11 and 6 12 and 5 uh, this year, like they all just finally put it together, especially it, like, you know, you keep saying that that we're a year off from where you guys were. A lot of people want to compare us to the Eagles, mm. whereas like, you know, in year three, Jalen Hurts yep. got, you know, A.J. Brown and things, you know, they hit the ground running there. He became a passer as well as an effective runner and all that kind of stuff. We got D.J. Moore now. Will we add, you know, a passing game to Justin Fields already? you know, amazing repertoire of being able to run the ball and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. We, we will see. It's uh, going to be interesting. So, I mean, obviously the, the Lions are definitely one of those teams we want to keep our eye on for sure. And, uh, you know, we don't get to talk to you again for another five months because <laughs> we don't see you until, uh, you know, just before Thanksgiving, the you know, yeah. week 11 uh, this year. You guys have already had your bye and everything by then. So, a lot of these questions will be pretty well answered by the time we see each other for the first time. Yeah. Let's, let's hope we're in as uh, it's rare. I think that we do these where we're both like feeling great about our team, feeling like <laughs> we're, we're headed in the right direction that we're not just like commiserating about awful times that we've had. Or we and spend so, the, we hope, spend the conversation bracing each other for, for right. what's ahead. <laughs> so hopefully by the time, you know, Thanksgiving rolls around, we're, we're, we're still bringing the same energy now. Yeah. That would be nice. That would be nice. It would, you know, how old are you? 20, I'm sorry, 20, 37, 37. 37. Okay. So you were, you were young when, during the Rodney Pete, Barry Sanders yeah. days. And so you, if you remember them, you probably don't remember them uh, well. So I'm 45. So I, I do have some strong recollection of those Wayne Fonts days and how he was sure. a darling of Chris Berman, because he, he would call him Rasputin. As soon as you think you got him dead, here he comes. The Lions make a late charge to make the playoffs. Save Wayne Font's job again, you know, kind of thing. So, right. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, been 30 years since those days uh, yeah. were here, where the Lions were a, you know, legitimate discussion to win the division or make the playoffs kind of thing. 
It's been it's a long time since that was a legitimate conversation and not some wild theory from a Lions fan who was drinking the Kool-Aid kind of thing. So, And same thing for the Bears. Uh, yeah. as well so the the model that i've been trying to assume and, and shout out to lions play-by-play guy uh dan miller who who said it towards the end of last season is we we need to learn to start being comfortable being uncomfortable yeah yeah because yeah like they're this is the new standard that that the lions want to hold themselves to sure right yeah. it, it's it's a one we're going to hold them to this year and if they meet it then suddenly like yeah that's the standard like once you start, once you are a 10, 11 win, 12 win team, like that, that that's now the expectation every year. And right. it, it's something that the line, like you said, the lines just haven't dealt with that pressure, dealt with those expectations. Well, ever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even with their most recent uh, success, those yeah. great offenses you had in the Stafford days, 2011, 2014, 2012 and 2015 were very forgettable seasons on the yep. heels of those great years. Yep, so, 100%. you know, same thing happened even with the in the Jim Caldwell days where you guys were a bit more consistent, but, you know, still weren't able to get over the hump to where you actually wanted to be. Right. Uh, kind of thing. So and the Bears have suffered along that uh, as well. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's uh, we're very much on the same plane as far as, you know, the roller coaster that we've been on uh, with our teams and, and also being let down. You know, we think we've got something promising coming up ahead, only to have it just ripped right out from underneath us uh, for one reason or another. Uh, so, yes. the, the Charlie Brown graphic. <laughs> yeah, the and the, NF, the NFL. Right is, yeah, the NFL is Lucy holding the football. So that's right. <laughs> right when we get there, ah, uh, boom. You know that kind of thing. So, but you know, you, you mentioned that it's you know trying to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, for me, it was, you know, talking about Ryan Poles and everything that he's been doing. It's obvious the guy's got a plan. And, you know, it was like for me, from him coming from Kansas City, where in his last four years there, they won. Or his last six years, they won six straight division titles. They went Mm -hmm. and hosted, not just went to, but hosted four straight AFC championship games. They went to the Super Bowl twice you know, and won one of those games. That's what Ryan Poles was doing as an executive in Kansas City before he got the job here in Chicago. And so that's the model that he's followed. That's what he's watched from the ground up in his time in Kansas City. So the model for him isn't for the Bears to be winning in 2023. It's for us to be still winning in 2033. Right. You know, for that 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 consistent level of success that he's come from that he knows that he's familiar with in Kansas City that's what he's trying to bring to Chicago that's why he's trying to build more through the draft than he is about going on spending all of our cuz we had the most salary cap space and we still have the most salary cap space right. in the league because he didn't spend every single penny that he could kind of like um the Jags did last yeah. year now that worked yep. out for them but they spent every penny they had bringing all those guys in Right. So Ryan, and Ryan we'll see did. how that plays out. Yeah, like long said, term. Like yeah, down long. What the Bears are doing, yeah, is, is, I would say the lines are along the same lines too. Where it's like you're you're prioritizing the draft. You're making you know splashes here and there when you can, especially if you have the 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 capital. But you aren't selling out your right. future in any sort of way. And I do kind of question like obviously you you have someone like Trevor Lawrence that opens your window for a long time. But if you overspend, there is a long like there's a short term benefit. But there's a long-term risk, and, and I'm curious how that plays out in Jacksonville. Yeah, so, but it's like he's been a lot more calculating and, uh, you know, patient than you'd think somebody in his position 
would be, especially after the year that he went through, 3-14, and 14, you know, no draft picks, no salary cap space to have all of that again, and the number one pick the following season. So he was able to, to get more draft uh, you know, assets. We got two first rounders next year. We got two second rounders in 2025 and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, you think you would have been a bit more ravenous uh, about the whole thing, but not at all. He's, he's being cold and he's being calculating. And, uh, you know, he didn't give Mike McGlinchey 18 million a season. He didn't <laughs> give Javon Hergave 21 million a season, but his first two picks were the, were, you know, Darnell Wright, who's only going to be about 4 million, a season and Gravon Dexter, a second round pick, is maybe going to be two million a season as a second round pick uh, and whatever. So, I mean, it's significantly cheaper than what we would have had to pay those veterans uh, to come in and, and, you know, probably have a little bit more of an impact right away, but at the same time would have ravaged our uh, accounting books there for a while, especially right. since both are on the older side. So, yep. yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to see. He's definitely. He's, he's also, you know, calculating for next season where we're going to have to make a decision about Justin Fields. Sure. So it's yeah. like, this is the year. Are we talking extension next year? Or are we using those two first-round picks to package them up to, to go and get Caleb Williams or Derek May or whoever the top-flight quarterback is in yeah. next year's draft? So, you know, he's in a good position to do either. Next yeah, season, in, a, so. in a great position to get the next Mitchell Trubisky next draft. Yeah, hey. <laughs> You had to end it like that, didn't you? I had to get one We're in there. We're having a lot of fun here. We're talking about <laughs> optimism, and you had to throw that in there. You bastards. Now I'm glad I'm not talking to you until late November. So, you, you can sit on that joke for the next five months. Keep you warm. Uh, speaking of which, we got five months until we get to see you again. Jeremy, where can we keep up with you guys in the meantime? Yeah, all things Pride of Detroit. Um, PrideofDetroit.com, part of SB Nation's uh, team blogs uh, i run that we do a, a, a podcast which i'll bring up as i always do is, is stupidly called the pod cast as in the pride <laughs> of detroit podcast uh, but if you search pride of detroit you can find it you don't have to search pod cast okay um, but the thing that i i love to promote the most is our is our live show it, it, it is our podcast but we do it live on twitch um not youtube twitch uh, which is normally considered a gaming platform, but it's just it, it essentially works the same way YouTube does. Um, and we do a lot of fun stuff over there. We do charity drives over there. We we, we interact with our audience. That you guys can make me wear silly things during the show. Um, so twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit for that. Nice, nice. Well, Jeremy, as always, man, it's been a great pleasure having you back and, and uh, talking about what could be. Uh, so by the time we get to talk again... Uh, half of the season will be over, so we'll be pretty well on our way into answering some of these questions and and theories that we're uh, you know kind of romanticizing right now, and <laughs> see where that floor ceiling is. Uh, you know how that's looking when we yeah. uh, when we hook up back in November, man. So we look forward to uh, having you back on. Well, appreciate you having me, Larry. It's always good catching up with you and uh, and and commiserating about our potentially now bright futures absolutely can't wait so you know I'm, I'm hoping that these are the days where we like you mentioned before we flip this division yeah and instead of always looking up at minnesota and green bay let them look up at us for a while that'd be nice amen Always great to have Jeremy on the show. Love uh, talking to 
him and um, just uh, still regret that I didn't bring up the helmet. And, and for those of you who are interested, um, very mixed feelings about the helmet because I actually love the blue on the helmet. I do. Um, it's, uh, it's a really, you know, it's, uh, it's a very exciting, very visual, you know, color. I, I really enjoy it quite a bit. However, and I understand why they did it. The logo is awful. It is just terrible. It looks like some kindergartner drew it, uh, you know, on the side of the helmet. It looks terrible. And as much as I love slash hate the helmet, what I really dislike is that they're wearing it with the all gray unis, you know, basically kind of like their color rush uniform where they wear all gray white numbers with the blue trim. Believe it or not, I actually enjoy those uniforms. It will look terrible with that blue helmet on top. It, it's, it's such a contrast. It just doesn't work. It absolutely does not work. You know, if they were going to wear that with their blue tops and, you know, and all with their regular uniform that I could, I think I'd be more on board. I'd still hate the logo on the helmet, but, you know, you don't really notice that when you're watching, you know, the widescreen of the, uh, of the game itself. You know, the logo's not there to bother you when you're actually watching the game. The color of the helmet will stand out more than the logo does, but those helmets are going to look terrible with, with all that bland gray underneath those electric blue uh, helmets in the football games. It's going to suck. I'm not, that's going to be terrible, but so there you go. There's my two cents. Uh, I believe Jeremy is if when I did text him afterwards to let him know, I was upset that I forgot to bring up the damn helmets. Um, I think he was pretty much on board with what I was saying, but uh, he also thinks that the lions are getting new uniforms next year. So it won't matter. So like, Oh, Okay. So we'll see if I get to be uniform snob in 2024 for the new Lions unis. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But anyway, guys, that's going to close the book on the Detroit Lions. We move on to close out our NFC North brethren on Thursday with Chris Gates, our old friend from the Daily Norseman, to talk about last year's defending champion, Minnesota Vikings, and uh, see if they can repeat uh, and everything they didn't make much in the in the way of uh, hay and free agency. They didn't have many draft picks uh, to go around uh, this season, but uh, they did bring in Brian Flores, a new defensive coordinator, to maybe help him or help them right the ship, and, and maybe his uh, his scheme and his philosophy will help the will help keep the Vikings out of one score games and you know and things like that, and uh, you know kind of be. Uh, Addition by subtraction, firing Ed Donatel, their defensive coordinator last year, bringing in Flores and, and seeing if that will right the ship as opposed to bringing in all these new bodies and, and, uh, and, and what have you. So we talked to Chris on Thursday to wrap up the NFC North, and then we wrap up the series in general next Tuesday with our great friend Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears to preview our beloved Chicago Bears, the, the uh, 15th and final opponent preview episode of the series and then uh i think i've you know i've got something in the works i've i think i got an exciting guest uh, that's going to be on next thursday on the 20th and uh, hopefully i'll be able to uh, pin him down and get him on the show and see if we can't do something else for that following tuesday before the bears report to camp uh the last weekend uh in july so stay tuned to the social media i'll make the announcements and let everybody know 
I can lasso that guest and uh, come back on Thursday for me and Chris Gates to preview the 2023 Minnesota Vikings. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.